This is a recent review of the Juicebox podcast. I am a dietitian working towards taking the diabetes educator exam, hopefully at the end of this year. I don't have much experience with type 1 patients since I work with gestational diabetes and type 2 patients most of the time. It has been great for me to hear real-life experiences from people living with type 1. I love hearing you and Jenny working together on the Pro Tip series. You guys are doing a great service. Thank you for your work. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by those Pro Tip episodes. You can find them at diabetesprotip.com. And they are also available right here in the feed to your podcast. Just search Diabetes Pro Tip. The Pro Tip episodes, as well as the entire podcast, are, as always, 100% free for you to enjoy and listen to. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 334 of the Juice Box Podcast. This is a good standalone, or this episode can serve as a hmm, sidecar to episode 327, where Dr. DeSalvo came on and talked a little bit about how Dexcom is being used during the COVID-19 crisis to limit the exposure of healthcare workers to people with type 1 diabetes who are also dealing with COVID-19. While I was having that conversation with Dr. DeSavo, I started having more nuts and bolts questions about how that was happening. And so guess who's back? Tomas Walker, Dexcom's Director of Clinical Projects. And he's here to talk a little more in depth about how the CGM is being used in the hospital environment to limit exposure. Thought it was a great little conversation, about a half an hour, right? Just fill your mind with a little info and right back on your way. This is another one of the bonus episodes that I'm putting out over the weekend that are ad-free. That's right, baby. You ain't got to hear no ads. Not today. Wait, are you thinking what bonus episodes? There was one yesterday with IndyCar driver Charlie Kimball. Please don't forget that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please Always consult a physician before making changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Again, today, there are no advertisers. Why? Because I'm going to take a moment to tell you about DiabetesProTip.com. That's my website that's absolutely free for anyone to use that culls together every one of the Diabetes Pro Tip episodes from the Juicebox podcast, all in one place. Now, you can, of course, listen to the show in your podcast player. You can do that forever. But if you really want to get a feeling for how many episodes there are in the Pro Tip series, or if you'd like to share it with a friend or a countryman, a neighbor, or just some guy who you heard say, like, I can't get my A1C to come down, man, and I'd like to have toast with breakfast, send them to DiabetesProTip.com. Thank you very much. And now, Tomas Walker. Honestly, we should just start calling him by one name, like Madonna. Or uh, what are some other one-name people? Adele. Why do I keep thinking of women? Kanye? I don't know. Kanye West. Anyway, Tomas. Tomas, it's nice to speak with you again. Thanks for coming back. I appreciate it. That's good to talk to you again, Scott. I always enjoy talking to you and your, on your podcast. Well, if you don't mean that, I still appreciate you saying it. And if you do mean it, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. <laughs> This is a, what the third or fourth one I've done with you. If I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> well, that sort of takes my feeling of um, of uh, the power I have away. You're like, oh, I wouldn't do it if I did. <laughs> doesn't mean that much to us. Just so you know. 
Really, I know it takes time out of your day. I really appreciate it. So what happened was I was speaking recently with Dr. DeSalvo about how Dexcoms were being used to help save PPE during the COVID-19 problem. Mm -hmm. And I started having questions that I think were better asked of you. So I got you on the show. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Happy, happy to help if I can. So I'm interested in, I guess the first thing is who approached who about this? How did this begin? Okay, so by it, you mean how did we get to the point where hospitals began requesting to use continuous glucose monitoring in an effort to better manage patients, reduce PPE, and hopefully reduce this, the burden on the healthcare staff at this time? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, 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 really. Like, who's the person who had the bright idea and, and reached out? So, Dexcom had been in contact with the FDA. We had also been um, encouraged by several of the uh, healthcare companies we'd worked with to make some contact and see if we could open this up. Going into the hospital has always been a long-term goal, I think, for everyone making continuous glucose monitoring because there's such a clear need. I mean, if a patient ends up on an insulin drip, you're trying to do a finger stick and manage their glucose every 30 to 60 minutes while you're titrating the insulin drips following some sort of an algorithm. And what really, I think, brought it to light was there was a small paper published out of China. I'm sorry, the author's first name, or the author's name eludes me, but it demonstrated that patients with diabetes had a four to 600% increase in mortality associated with COVID. And as we saw the COVID pandemic begin to get a foothold in the U.S., you know, back in your neck of the woods, um, we saw this incredible increase in the amount of people with BKA, people coming in with hyperglycemic states with no history of diabetes. We had new onset type ones, hyperosmolar crises, truly in numbers we'd never seen before. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a push on both sides, both us as a company and the FDA, and even on the side of the, the frontline healthcare providers to say, we need to see what we can do to improve the options we have available to care for these patients. Well, it's, it's a, I mean, it seems simple, right? It seems like such an, an easy fix. You don't want to go into the room with somebody and this helps not, but how do you, how do you fix the problem of using the share and follow? If, what if the person who's um, in crisis doesn't have a phone? Like, how did you guys handle that? Yeah. So that actually, uh, that actually took us a little bit to think about and what we ended up doing. And I think we've come up with a good solution that's helped a lot of people is We worked with a a medical device company whose specialty was provisioning phones for medical devices, which, you know, the the, the smartphone was not part of our life at all 10 years ago, and now you can't do anything without it. Mm -hmm. And it has been adapted and adopted into many clinical trial settings. So there are a few small companies whose entire program is built around creating phones as medical devices. So what Dexcom did was reach out to one of these companies and request Uh, the provisioning of several thousand Android phones, which are preloaded with Dexcom apps, including Share and Follow and Gen 6. They already have Wi-Fi on them. They're preloaded with a data plan. And we made those phones available to the self-health systems that wanted to use them to give them a data pathway to use Share and Follow to offer some remote access. And we're doing this for free. We're donating these phones on request to the hospital. That's lovely. How many hospitals is this happening in? Do you know, or how many patients? 
Yeah, it's well over 100 hospitals right now. And uh, the number of patients is in the dozens of patients. Not kind of like we're quite in the hundreds of patients yet, but uh, it's being adopted rapidly. And we're seeing hospitals using both the, the Android phone devices, as well as the Dexcom dedicated receivers to manage the data remotely. Because remember, that transmitter's got a Bluetooth radio. We've got a range of about six meters, about 20 feet there, where we can receive the data from a ways away. So can actually put the receiver outside the room or against the window of the room and be able to monitor that patient's glucose without having to have close contact with them. Oh, that's brilliant. How do you find out about new patients? Is is there a reg like I don't know how that would happen. Like how does a hospital even know that I have a someone with type one I should contact Dexcom or or vice versa? Yeah. Yeah. So there it's really helped if there's a champion inside the hospital. And in as we've seen this rolled out, one of the things that I've really been able to see make a difference is when one of the intensivists or one of the endocrinologists on staff says, you know what, we can use this technology. We can use it to help manage care and we can make the difference with this, but it does take a champion. And what one of the hospitals has actually done is they've actually created a CGM referral service inside their COVID management team. So they're, they're actually putting their COVID patients with diabetes on separate units. And then they're creating this referral where they, they send in the nurse practitioner or the physician's assistant or the uh, diabetes educator to start the CGM, to get the systems going, to keep the staff familiar with the data, and to take advantage of that share and follow and be able to aggressively manage this patients without direct contact. Do you think this experience will serve as a pilot for the idea of getting the Dexcom into hospitals so that every time a, a person with type 1 diabetes is brought in for any reason that this can happen for them? I think it's probably too early to say that because we're still, you know, we're still learning. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the guys who trained me a, a long time ago, uh, like around 40 pounds ago, um, told me that there's a couple of things you need to know in life. You need to really care about what you do and you need to know what you don't know. And we don't know yet. I think that the initial impressions are really good that this is being well appreciated by clinicians and nursing staff and CGM really can make a difference. You know, the, the kind of the parallel I like to draw is when I was still in practice and a few years ago when CGM was much more novel to patients and you first put a patient on a CGM and they could see their glucose value and they could see the trend and they can see what the insulin they took did and how much that bowl of mac and cheese really raised their sugar. And it was like this light turned on and we're seeing that exact same scenario with hospitalists and intensivists realizing that it's not just about the glucose now, it's about how I got here and where I'm going. And once you cross that bridge, you know, you're across the Rubicon there. You don't want to go back. You see the value it brings. I don't think it can be undervalued, to be honest with you, just for people in that situation, because I've known people who have gone to the hospital with type 1 diabetes. My daughter's one of them. I've had close friends and they get into that situation where, you know, they start worrying and they're, you know, the hospital's keeping their blood sugar too high. They're worried about them getting low. You know, they're not treating for meals until, you know, significantly after they've eaten. I've seen it slow people's recoveries down, as a matter of fact. And I just I'm excited sure. that, that they can see it all of a sudden. It, it seems like the beginning of something to me, at least. 
You know, and I think it's opened the door to a lot of discussions because there were a lot of hospitals that didn't have policies about patients showing up with their own CGMs. You know, they probably had a hospital policy about an insulin pump. You know, if I show up with my pump, can I keep my pump? Well, it's like, well, yes, here's the policy. Mm-hmm. And now they're looking at this going, gosh, if the patients are coming in with this technology, if we're using this technology, we really need to think farther down the road. It's not, is it just about now or is it about where we're going as we look at managing the COVID the COVID issues and the hyperglycemia. And, you know, we'd all love to see this thing go away. Um, but the reality is we're going to be dealing with it for many more months. Yeah, there's upticks right now in places like, think like Nebraska and, you know, just where you wouldn't expect. I think there's, you know, these places that were more rural, more off the coasts. And now there's, I, I was hearing about this one town that, you know, a, a large, I think 10% of the population of the town works inside of this one place. And now all of a sudden, 700 of the thousand people that work there are positive. And those people are going to go home to their families and it's going to, it's going to start there. You know, the, these little wildfires are going to, are going to keep popping up until, you know, and we don't know until when, right? Like, is it, are you looking for a vaccine? Are you hoping we're going to get some sort of herd immunity eventually? You don't know what it's going to be exactly. So this, I guess, could go on for a while. Again, it's a, a list of things we don't know. Yeah. And the answers now are to try to provide the best options we can and the best care available for patients that we can today. Because we know that, glyce- that glycemic management in hospitals isn't always great. You pointed that out yourself. And if we can put one more tool on the table there to improve the outcome, to save a bed day in ICU, to get that patient out the door alive and faster, we should do it. It's a big deal. It really is. So, I, here's my question now. I come into the hospital. I have type 1. I've got COVID-19. Uh, the hospital says, well, you're in luck because we're going to put a glucose monitor on you. Now, all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I see the impact of my food and how my insulin works. And then, you know, good luck comes my way. And five days, 10 days later, I'm leaving the hospital and I'm completely healthy. COVID's gone. But my Dexcom stays behind, right? How does that happen? That that seems um, like those people would want to take that with them. Is that an issue? So it hasn't been an issue that's been discussed by patients that I've heard, but I've had this discussions with clinicians who are looking at actively implementing these programs mm-hmm. because one of the things we have seen is, you know, new onset type one diabetes associated with COVID, and. Uh, there have been a couple of small studies that have looked at this, that we should start CGM at the time of diagnosis. And, you know, I would imagine looking looking at your own family, it's like, can you imagine getting diagnosed today and not asking for a CGM? So I think we're going to see this driving an uptake in the outpatient world also as more people become aware of this technology. Still kind of shocking to me sometimes that when you look across the large data sets, um, looking at the population, like the type 1 diabetes exchange, the uptake of CGM is still somewhere in the 30 to 40% range. What do you think What do you think the reasoning is behind that? You know, medicine is, is a very slow beast to turn. And it it is still some adoption on the part of clinicians. It's still some adoption on the part of patients. Um, I don't think sometimes people realize all the benefits they can get from CGM. And it all boils down to what I was saying earlier, that aha moment when you can look at your glucose, but understand that this is not a static system, yeah. that this is a system that is constantly changing. Now, I, I think about, it always pops into my head because I've had a DVR for so long. If you tried to explain to somebody 
10 years ago. There's this thing that'll record television for you. And they say, yeah, 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 I have it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's called a VCR. And you're like, no, 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 trust me, that's not it. It's this thing. And it, you can't explain to somebody in a minute why they need it. But once they have it, my goodness, they know forever, right? They know why. And they're and they don't want to give it back, and so it, it just it is one of those things. Like once you have it, 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 there's no way you would want to give it back again. Um, I, I I don't know. I feel good that people are seeing it. I want them to be able to keep them afterwards uh, because you start really feeling like I mean, you know, I, we've been making some little adjustments with Arden's insulin over the past three or four days, and I have to pull it up for you because it's it's there are adjustments that could not have been made without the Dexcom data. Last three days, Arden's estimated A1C five, her standard deviation twenty five, her average <laughs> blood sugar ninety seven. Um, wakes up at one hundred and two, goes to bed at seventy two. Uh, has been in range for the past fourteen and a half hours. And for clarity, Arden's range is seventy to one twenty. So, <laughs> you know, and and I'm telling you, I, I've I've managed diabetes without a CGM, and uh, I'm not that good at it. <laughs> so. Uh, it, <laughs> But with with one I am. It's too hard to do it with just snapshots. I mean, when you get the full when you get the full high definition movie, it changes the entire experience. Yeah. And we're see we're seeing that with the anecdotal reports coming in from the hospital experience, um, people calling and saying, "Just we never would have been able to do this without this." Yeah. You know, there was one particularly great story I heard from a hospitalist in New York City who had gotten a call on a woman who came in a DK with a history of type one diabetes and they had not been on CGM. They got her on CGM and they were able to aggressively manage her DKA and avoided having to intubate her, which, you know, in, in, in the hospital environment today, intubation is a necessity and it's also a known risk. Right. Um, there's so, no, there's no, no certainty you're going to get that tube out again ever. It's sadly true. Yeah. You said something earlier. I want to make sure I heard you correctly. There's people are being diagnosed with type one as they have COVID. Yeah, this has been kind of one of the strange things we've seen. And there's a few people looking at this, that there seems to be a slight increase in new diagnosis of diabetes associated with COVID. We've seen type people come in with no previous history of type two diabetes with horrible hyperglycemia. People come in with no history of type 1 diabetes, clearly in DKA. Um, it, it's been kind of an interesting experience, and it wasn't really reported in a lot of the Chinese data that's been reported on the uh, early experience with COVID. So there's a lot of people looking at this right now. There have been a couple of small papers published on this already, and I expect we'll see quite a few more in the near term. Yeah. I mean, it. listen, my daughter had... Uh... I forget hand, foot, mouth right before she was diagnosed. And if I say that out loud, a hundred people are going to come back and tell me, Oh, my kid had that right before their diagnosis as well. And I think everyone knows that, you know, some sort of stressors on the body can take a person who's already got the markers and sort of push them over the edge a little bit. This would clearly qualify as, you know, a stressful on the body. So it didn't, it didn't surprise me. I just was interested that people are looking at it already. So there, I guess that's another thing. It's in its infancy. Yeah, there's been some interesting reports on this coming, uh, all anecdotal still, but people are starting to try to gather the data and see if there's a pattern. Um, you know, you're correct that that the, the stressor of the illness on the body can unmask this. But the question is, is this virus 
specifically doing something that is causing this, or is it just such an aggressive virus that the over the stress simply becomes overwhelming? Yeah, that's it's that's a uh, that's uh, definitely worth looking into. I'm glad somebody is paying attention to it. I have to say that this is really cool. I think it is because I look. I'm working as hard as I can over here to tell people about what CGMs do, um, but I can't reach everybody. And I talk all the time about. I, I, I would love it if the things that I know and the people listening to this understand about managing insulin, if that was coming from the top down, how much uh, more quickly that that information would spread through the population of people with type 1. I'm thinking about the amazing outcomes they'd have and a lot of the struggles that they would avoid, uh, some of them lifelong or you know feel lifelong after a few months and a, and a few years. So I think anything that gets the knowledge of what Dexcom does into medical people's brains so that they can really ruminate on it and think about it. I'm sorry this is the way it had to happen, uh, but I I am really pleased that it's happening. So it's very kind of you guys to do. I know you said it's a few dozen people, um, maybe less than 100, but Um, it's still, I would think, an expense. It's actually the number of patients who use CGM in the hospital under the under the current guidance, it's over 100. It's more than 100 facilities are actively involved with us and more coming on all the time. Oh, I see. And, and it's growing. It's not, it hasn't plateaued for you. Oh, gosh, no. No. <laughs> it's like, uh, I, uh, you know, every morning I get up and I kind of cringe when I open my mailbox for the first time. <laughs> my email. <laughs> is, and this is a, it's being used as a device, like no differently than, if someone puts a pulse ox machine on someone, there's a company that makes that pulse ox the comp- and the, the hospital have bought it. In this scenario, you guys are, are donating the equipment, but it's being used like that. Like you're not, this isn't a study that's being done or anything like that at the moment. No, there, there are several studies that have started up, you know, under a time of challenges like this, many hospitals or many, particularly academic hospitals are going to start up um, institutional review board approved studies to get this data, to see what they can do to make an an impact on the outcome Mm -hmm. and the resource utilization, in large part knowing to what we discussed earlier, that there's going to be more waves of this coming. We are going to face this for a while in in the country. And it has not been limited to just the larger institutions and just institutional review board approved clinical trials. I am seeing this in 50-bed rural hospitals. They're coming to us looking to see how this technology can be used to major metropolitan medical centers on both coasts and across across the Midlands. It's growing very quickly, and people are recognizing the value, and it, there is a change in thinking that has to occur with this. And, I mean, if you think back to your experience with Arden before CGM, and then you got introduced to this technology with probably a small degree of apprehension, at least. Is this really going to make it better? Is just going to be one more thing I have to manage every day? And then to the realization of how it can change, we're somewhere in the middle there. Uh, and if people are still evolving their understanding of how best to use this technology, and I don't think we're going to have that answer overnight. Right. Hey, listen, I know we have a short amount of time, and I wanted to be sure to ask you, when the device makes it to someone in a hospital... What's the training like for the staff? How do they how do they get brought up to speed to use the device? Yeah, so the uh, at Dexcom we have a group of uh, people, a group of trainers that have been stood up to assist with this process. And as they come in and request uh, 
access to the systems to be used in their hospital. Um, we make an effort to set up a training and follow up with the secondary training if needed, and then go back and touch base and make sure that they're they're getting the results they need or if they have questions. We've tried to make a fairly comprehensive approach to this. So once someone comes to us, we have a pathway where we can put them into it and help them and stay in contact with them. Yeah. And I think there's two, I was wondering, is it, is it a nuts and bolts training? Like this is how it goes on. This is how you, you know, how it, you know, this is how you use it or is it how to interpret data as well? How deeply do you go with them? Uh, it depends on the facility. If you have a facility that's extremely um, comfortable with the CGM as, as, some of them are, then it's really more about how do we deploy this and how do we get the data into the hands of the clinicians. And then you have others that are that are understand the technology, but they need a little more, a little more basic training and then step through the processes of, of using the data. Um, I haven't had anybody who didn't get it. It just took a little while sometimes for people to understand the the the, the potential of the data right. to impact the quality of care they're offering. Yeah, it's all really fascinating. It, it just, you know, the difference between being able to, you know, because at first glance, you know, a CGM to a lot of people, even consumers says, oh, well, this thing will beep if I get low, you know, and then you start really seeing what you could be doing with the information. You think, oh, well, there's more here. I could, I could put my insulin in at a different time and really make an impact on a spike or, you know, I could, I could cut my basal away or maybe we could take some, you know, take some insulin away here to stop a low. Like when those things start becoming uh, apparent, it's, it's, it's very exciting. I wasn't sure if you were telling them about that idea in the beginning or letting them sort of um, come to you with the ideas of look what I'm seeing. And am I, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? Oh, no, we make sure to touch on that early on, that they understand that this data can be beneficial to understand how they're managing the patients. Okay. And, you know, it's kind of, kind of look at it like this, Scott. In a lot of hospitals, if you're not in ICU, if you're on medical surgery or telemetry, your insulin dosing might be adjusted once a day yeah. based on the last 24 hours of finger sticks. So they got four finger sticks in the last 24 hours. The hospitalist comes around, makes rounds, and adjusts your insulin and walks off. And now with the ability to look at the CGM tracings, they're able to make insulin adjustments or considerations of how to manage that diabetes two, three, four times a day. That's an exponential improvement in the ability to manage a patient mm -hmm. by providing that much more information. That's amazing. I wonder, I wonder how long it'll be before hospitals think, well, when we have a person with type one in here, let's put a closed system on them. Like let's put, you know, the horizon when it comes out, let's put the control IQ on them and, and let the machine do a lot of the work. I mean, there are machines doing tons of work for people in hospitals. I don't know why that wouldn't be one of them in the future. Maybe that's the beginning of this really. You know, there's a lot of things being kicked around mm -hmm. and I, I, I had a great conversation with a young intensivist who said that now that I've seen this, I don't know how we're ever going to go back Yeah, because it, it completely changes our ability to manage a patient with poorly controlled diabetes. It's the difference between sitting through a commercial and pushing one button and jumping through it, Tomas. That's what it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you are the you are the TiVo of the diabetes world. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that's a compliment. I don't think it's going to fit on a T-shirt. The TiVo is amazing, by the way, Tomas. If you've never used it, it is it is far and away better than any of the other DVRs on the planet, in my my humble opinion. Um, I know where I know we have to go. I, I really appreciate you doing this. Is there anything I didn't touch on that I should have? 
No, I appreciate the chance to come on and talk to you for a minute. You know, it's a time of incredible challenges to the healthcare system, and uh, Dexcom is really trying to help improve patient care, reduce the use of personal protective exposure equipment to improve the ability of a healthcare provider to manage a critically ill patient. Mm -hmm. And it's really an exciting time and it's really a challenging time for all of us. And I think we just need to keep pushing forward to learn the lessons we can and try to improve everyone's care. I appreciate that very much. I really do. And listen, at some point in the future, I have questions about adhesive, G7, all kinds of stuff. You, you, you'll come back on when, when the time's more appropriate. If you, if you, if you would, I'd really, I'd love it. to. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks so much. Get back to work. Um, you know, I need, I need, <laughs> yeah. I need those sensors to come it's on. It's not time. going anywhere. It'll still be here. <laughs> that pile of work isn't going <laughs> Thanks away. God. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Take care. Huge thanks to Tomas for coming back and explaining to me how the Dexcom G6 is being used in a hospital setting to help keep people safe. And I'm going to thank myself here. Right? I mean, I made diabetespro-tip.com and it's sponsoring the episode technically, like not really sponsoring because I, it's not like I sent myself a dollar and I was like, hey, could you put an ad for my website on your podcast? Can you imagine if I started having a conversation like that with myself? That'd be strange. Would I have to pay taxes on that if I handed myself a dollar and then I took the dollar? Hmm. Diabetesprotip.com. It's where you'll find every episode from my Diabetes Pro Tip series in one place. It's incredibly shareable and reusable right there at diabetesprotip.com. Check out me and Jenny Smith, CDE and T1D, discuss every one of the tools and ideas around insulin management that are talked about here in the podcast. Tell a friend. And of course, while this episode was not sponsored by anyone, there are sponsors for the show. Dexcom, Omnipod, Touch by Type 1, and the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. I stand behind all four of those entities, and there are links in your show notes or at juiceboxpodcast.com if you'd like to find out more.